0: Good morning. Uh, If you have your Bible, open it up to Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, We're going to be in those chapters this morning. And uh, as we begin, I do want to mention as you came in this morning, you probably noticed that uh, there were some tables sitting out here outside. Those tables are opportunities for you to sign up for our small group programs. You can sign up this morning out at one of those tables as well. There are tables for our youth ministry, children's ministry, uh, our media team. And uh, so if you guys are interested in any of those opportunities, we'll have the list of tables up here. But let me just quickly share with you guys our college small group options as well so that you know what is out there. First of all, if you're a freshman, Doulos is for you. Um, I understand a few people actually went out there this past Wednesday. Uh, we weren't there, but we will be there this Wednesday at All Face Chapel, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. If you're a freshman, great opportunity to get into a small group, connect with some other guys or girls, and study the Word of God. Uh, we would really love to have you participate in that. For our upper class, upperclassmen, we've got a few options. First of all, Growth Groups meets here Tuesday night, 6.30. Uh, we're studying the book of Ruth. And I should say, men, the book of Ruth is not just for women. Uh, there is a lot in the book of Ruth for you as well about how to be a man of character, integrity, strength, and also a lot for the women as well of how to be a woman of uh, integrity and character and strength. So we will be studying that this semester as well. We also have our servant team options. There's six different teams, uh, and each of those teams serves the church in a different way. They'll study the book of Ruth, but we also have teams like our evangelism team, our prayer team, service team, and a number of others, and uh, they are out there for you to connect with them. And then uh, lastly, but not least, Essentials. Uh, Essentials is a great study which goes through some of the critical foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, If you've not gone through Essentials, I would strongly encourage you to do it. If you think, you know, I know all that because I went to church growing up, but you might not be able to pinpoint how can I defend things like the deity of Christ and the Trinity from Scripture? How can I clearly and uh, in a straightforward way present the gospel? Some real foundational key things that you will get a chance to discuss and think about and also learn about in that study. So I'd encourage you, if you've not done that, also... sign up for essential. So anyway, they'll be out there after. We're going to try to finish about five minutes early if we can to let you guys out to go check out those tables and uh, sign up this morning. All right. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read uh, verses one through five before we pray. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Would you pray with me? Father, we do praise you this morning that we trust and know that the day is coming when you will save us from on high, as we just sang. The day is coming when Jesus will restore everything to the way. It's intended to be. And in the meanwhile, we wait and we groan and we look for the redemption you've promised. God, we pray that as we go throughout our week, that our hearts and our minds would uh, reflect you and your son in this world that we live in, but also that we would joyfully anticipate the day when you will return. And Father, we just pray that as we do that, you would help us to understand your word. And this morning as we study it, we pray you would help us to understand it. Father, help us in our hearts to believe it, remove doubts and distractions and all of the things that would keep us from knowing you well this morning. And then Father, empower our hands, our feet through your spirit. Pray if there are any in here this morning that don't yet know your son Jesus, that this would be the morning they hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe. We thank you for this time. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you guys a question as we start. What motivates you to do what you ought to do? Whether it is to go to class, to study, to listen to your boss at work, to do the things that you ought to do. What is it that motivates you? My guess is that uh, that has changed as you've gotten older. Right, I have three kids, and uh, I can tell you right now, if I want them to obey, I really can't very easily, yet. they're so young, can't very easily sit down to them and talk to them a lot about the future, right? If you obey me, if you learn to respect authority, uh, those things are important, and if you do that, then down the road, you're going to have a good, solid career probably one day. You'll get along with people, all of those things. Well, that's 20, 30 years down the road. So what motivates a three-year-old? Jelly beans, basically, is is uh, what we use, right? You know, so uh, if you want to motivate a child, candy, sugar, jelly beans, all those kind of things, short-term motivation mixed with maybe a little bit of healthy teaching and long-term motivation as well, right? And parents use a combination. They may use negative punishment on their kids, or they may use positive reinforcement where they give them uh, prizes or rewards at varying intervals. Uh, For you, my guess is that your motivations have changed over time. When you went to class on Monday, you sat down, the professor gave you a syllabus, and on that syllabus were all of the requirements to do well in this class. And most of them, I guess, probably didn't say, uh, and if you do well in this class, you'll know by the number of jelly beans I put on your desk at the end of the semester, right? Now, some of you are thinking, that would motivate me, right? I love jelly beans. I love ice cream, whatever it is, but the reality is that uh, you are usually more motivated now at this stage of your life by the future. You study well so you can get those grades, so you can get the job that you hope to get, so you can maybe have uh, the financial security that you hope to have one day and pursue the career you hope to pursue. And so you're motivated by the future. As we look at the scripture, it's interesting, the word of God consistently motivates us by giving us pictures of the future, all right? So it tells us that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we will receive eternal life. We will live forever with God. Tells us if we obey God that there are rewards and blessings for those who obey. There is the opportunity to reign with God in heaven for those who are faithful. And so the scripture gives us this motivation of the future. The problem is that for some of us, it doesn't seem very motivating when we think about heaven. And I think the reason is because our popular culture has depicted heaven in a way that really is not motivating. Uh, it depicts heaven as people sitting on clouds playing harps, right? Do-do-do-do-do, you know, and they maybe have a little... Uh, plastic wings attached to their back or something like that and they just sit there. It reminds me of a far side comic strip that I saw a few years ago, a guy is sitting on a cloud and he looks like a little angel and he's got his harp and there's a little thought bubble coming out and he says, "I wish I'd brought a magazine." Right? And that's what we think of when we think of heaven. There's a famous passage from the book Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Huck Finn is the narrator of the book and the main character. And uh, he interacts with a lady, her name is Miss Watson. Miss Watson is kind of an older religious lady. And uh, Huck Finn, talking about Miss Watson, says this. He says, now she had a good start and went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. All right? So you see, his perception of heaven is, man, that sounds terrible. That sounds boring. Uh, There's a famous song, a little bit more contemporary by Billy Joel, and it's called Only the Good Die Young. Some of you may have heard this song, but some of the lyrics are this. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, because sinners are much more fun. And that's his idea in that song of heaven. Heaven is a place where all the boring people go. Uh, Heaven is a place where you don't have fun, and all the fun people are in hell. But as you look at the scripture, is that the picture that the Bible gives us of eternal life? You might be surprised to know that nowhere in the Bible does it talk about you and me playing harps or sitting on clouds. Nowhere does the Bible actually say that heaven is a boring place. In fact, what we see in the Bible is that uh, heaven is a place that really is the full restoration of the earth. And here's what I mean. As you look at the scripture, you see that it's clear when you and I die, we go to be with Jesus if you have believed in Jesus as your Savior. But after you die, you go to be with Jesus. Your body is in the ground and your spirit is in heaven. But what many of us don't recognize is that is a waiting period. And the hope that Scripture consistently actually presents us with, the final hope of eternal life, is really that the earth itself will be restored to be what it was once meant to be. And so the earth itself will become heaven. Heaven will come down to earth And you and I will have real bodies, and we will have real work. And we will, apparently, it seems, as we look at Revelation, we'll have food, we'll have drink, we'll have friends. It's earth as it was meant to be. That's the promise of eternal life, not a boring, disembodied place where we float around like an angel. And I think that's really significant as we think about what we do now. Because the future motivates what I do now. And if what I do now is completely disconnected to the future, uh, then I'm not going to be very motivated to follow Jesus now, right? In other words, if my future is totally separate from this earth, if I'm just going to be floating around on a cloud, then what does it matter how I treat you now? What does it matter what I tell you about what God wants for you and your body and your mind and your spirit? because that has nothing to do with the future. But as we look at the way Jesus lived and the way he calls us to live, we actually see Jesus interacting with people and he heals physical illness. He calms the storms and deals with natural disasters. And what Jesus does is he gives us, by doing those things, he gives us a little taste of the future. So when I love others well, when I treat others as God has called me to, and especially when I share the gospel that in Jesus Christ, there's eternal life. I am reflecting the kingdom God has promised. So as we look at the scripture this morning, we're gonna look a little bit at Revelation 21 and 22. What does the scripture say about what does eternal life look like and how we ought to respond? All right, the first thing we're gonna see is this, that heaven is going to come to earth. Look at chapter 21, verses one through three. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there's no longer any seat. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And so what you see is the last scene in the Bible really is heaven itself moving down to earth. Now, in our culture, there's lots of discussion about the concept of heaven on earth. Can we have heaven on earth, or is heaven something that we go to later? And you'll hear lots of references in popular culture to the idea of heaven on earth. I did a Google search this past week and just typed in heaven on earth, and I found a number of things. One was there's a restaurant in Oregon called Heaven on Earth, home of the world-famous cinnamon rolls, right? And maybe maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've eaten a particular cinnamon roll or donut, and you've gone, that's heaven, right? That's what, it, that's what it is, right there, packed in that little gooey roll, all right? Heaven on earth. There was another one, um, a floral design studio in Peoria, Illinois, okay? So uh, maybe heaven on earth is daffodils, right? Lots of pretty flowers and daisies and things like that. Doesn't grab me as much, but uh, maybe that's what it is, all right? Uh, several spas and yoga gyms actually were called heaven on earth, which, which is weird to me, I've tried yoga before, and it doesn't feel anything like I imagine heaven to feel like, right? It feels a lot like the opposite place, right? Uh, But, okay, so yoga gyms, spas, things like that. Uh, There are songs. There's a Britney Spears song called Heaven on Earth. And uh, here are the lyrics, and uh, I'm not making this up. Your touch, your taste, your breath, your face. Your hands, your head, your sweet, your love, your teeth, your tongue your eye, one eye, your, your mind, your lips, you'll find your heaven on earth. All right. You see what she's, I don't see what she's saying there, but it is, it is about heaven on earth. All right. Uh, when I was a kid, there was a famous song by Belinda Carlisle. It was called, uh, heaven is a place on earth. Ooh, baby. Do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. And then of course, Brian Adams, baby, you're all that I want. When you're lying here in my arms, I'm finding it hard to believe we're in heaven and love is all that I need, and I found it there in your heart. It isn't too hard to see we're in heaven, right? Okay, so you look through popular culture, and, and you see all these references, and I think sometimes as Christians, though, we go, all right, uh, Brian, you're not really in heaven, right? It's not really what heaven is, is like, and so what we tend to do then is we say, well, heaven is really, like I said, is this place far off somewhere, and God is there, and it's up in the sky, And the reality is, as we look at the scripture, though, the ultimate destination is heaven coming down to earth. And so there's coming a day in which God will come and he will bring it here. And uh, what we'll see is he's gonna restore things the way they're supposed to be. And again, when you and I die one day, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will go up to God. But the amazing thing is at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, uh, you come back down to earth. And the amazing thing about that is God has a plan even for this planet. And what that plan involves is that he's going to restore it to the way that he intended it to be. God is going to restore everything back to the way it was before sin ruined it, before death destroyed it. Look at verses four through eight of chapter 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. And I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All right, what we see is that God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to make everything the way it ought to be. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If you uh, read Genesis 1 through 3, what you see is Adam and Eve really in a perfect relationship with God. They have everything they need, there is no human death, there is no suffering, there is no crying. And what we see in Revelation 21 and 22 is really a total restoration of the Garden of Eden, except better and multiplied. All right. In fact, uh, chapter 22, if you look at the first few verses here of chapter 22, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Do you guys recognize the tree of life? Where else have you seen the tree of life? Back Genesis chapter two. In the Garden of Eden, the tree of life was how Adam and Eve would stay alive forever as long as they obeyed God. But remember when they disobeyed in chapter 3, God puts up a big angel to block access to the tree of life. And so they cannot live forever with him anymore. Now when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, the amazing thing is that there's a river going down the center of the city and lining the river is the tree of life. So it's not just one, it's, it's dozens or more And God says, if you thought Eden was great, just wait until I restore the earth. The tree of life is going to be everywhere. You will have life as it was intended to be. Imagine the world in all of its beauty and all of its splendor, except without the sin, without the death, without disasters. That's what eternal life is like. Uh, This past summer, uh, my wife and family and I got to visit a resort in upstate New York, up in the Adirondack Mountains, and just absolutely breathtaking, uh, beautiful. This was uh, here is actually the view from the cabin that we were staying in, and um, you can see these foothills. Basically, the Adirondacks are kind of foothills to the Appalachian Mountains, and uh, this was the lake that we were on, and you see the little beach. I mean, just absolutely breathtaking. I took this picture uh, so that I could send it to one of my coworkers to gloat just a little bit, and. Um, he sent me a message back and said, never, ever do that again while well, I'm not on vacation and you are, but I will next year. Um, <laughs> but I loved it. I mean, it was beautiful being there and we, we enjoyed our week. Now, here's the thing. We loved it. We had this wonderful time, but on the day that we left, we got back home and we found out on the day that we left, uh, a young man uh, actually drowned in the lake. And uh, there, there was just this feeling of sadness. And yet a bittersweet feeling because we had this beautiful scenery in this wonderful place, and yet in the midst of it, death intervened and intruded. And right now, that's what our world is like. Even the most beautiful things are marred and broken by sin and by death. God has created us to relate to one another and to love one another as he loves us, and yet we we destroy it often through sexual immorality or greed or anger, or pride. He's made a beautiful earth, and yet we see natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes intrude and and change our view of it. And Romans 8, actually 18 to 25, tells us even those natural disasters, even those things are a result of the fact that the earth itself is broken because of sin, and the earth itself is groaning, awaiting its redemption. And one day God's going to make it new imagine the earth without any of that stuff. Absolutely perfect. And that's what God's going to do. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, none of that, no more sickness. God will restore things the way he intended them to be. All right, so what will we do then in this restored earth? Bottom line is we will worship him forever and ever. Chapter 22, verses three through five, let me read those again. There will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. It's very interesting. Chapter three tells us that even when God restores everything, we're gonna serve him. In other words, there's still gonna be work for us to do. We're going to reign alongside him as well. I think that's interesting because sometimes we think of work itself as a curse of sin. The reality is what, what the curse was, was the futility of work. It says, Adam and Eve, you guys will work and you will try to till the ground and you won't be able to and it's going to be hard and you're going to sweat. But even before the fall, they had work to do, right? To take care of the garden. Adam had to name the animals. He ruled as God's representative. And what we see is a return to that where the work we do is now meaningful and purposeful and productive. And in the midst of that, what we will be doing is worshiping God forever and ever and ever. And you see that throughout Revelation in chapter five, chapter seven, you see men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation bowing down before God, constantly worshiping him. And the point of all this is this, that the earth is gonna be wonderful Your body is going to be new. You're going to rise from uh, the dead and you're going to have a body that is new, that is perfect. Imagine if you've ever seen maybe a picture uh, of perhaps your grandmother or grandfather when they were young and you look and maybe you kind of do a double take and you go, I I didn't know that they could look like that, right? You just don't say that when they're sitting there, right? (laughs) But you'll have this new body, a restored earth. But the thing is, all of it is intended to reflect the real guest of honor, and that's Jesus himself. And so as much as we will enjoy the new earth and the new creation, our eyes will be focused primarily on worshiping Jesus. Most of you, if not all of you, one day will probably get married. And uh, ladies, when you get married and you uh, uh, have that ceremony, my guess is that you have an idea of who you want to be uh, the main attraction at the wedding, right? And it's probably not the flowers, right? Uh, imagine if uh, that music starts playing, you begin to walk down the aisle, but everybody is uh, intrigued with the roses, and they don't look at you. How would that feel? Right? Or you come into the reception, they introduce you Mr. and Mrs. John Smith or whatever, and you walk in, and you just look over and everybody's just munching the cake, right? Well you know, there's cake. OK How would that feel? That would be all wrong, right? Because you're the main attraction. When you walk in, and I always tell, when I do weddings, I always tell the grooms and bridesmaids, when the bride comes in, uh, you revolve around her like planets around the sun, right? You turn your body, you look at her, you direct all attention to her because she is the guest of honor. The reception, everybody gets up and they applaud when she walks in. When we get to the new heavens and the new earth, it's a similar sort of deal. Yeah, there's a lot of attractions. There's uh, animals that, you know, lions and lambs hanging out together. And I imagine that'd be cool, right? And there's all kinds of cool things going on. And yet we are called to focus our eyes on Jesus. And I don't think that we will really have to make a conscious choice to do that. He's going to shine so bright that we don't even need the sun or even a little lamp because he'll be our light and we'll worship him and we'll serve him forever, doing meaningful work, eating from the tree of life, drinking from this perfect river, enjoying God's presence. I don't know about you, but that, that sounds better to me than trying to sit on a cloud and play a harp, right? I don't know how to play a harp. It'd be <laughs> discouraging to spend eternity trying to do that. Okay? God has promised us something so, so much better that we'll worship him forever and we're called to start now to start now that's what Matthew 28:18 to 20 really is and we talked about this last week as well Jesus last words before he ascends into heaven are you go into all the earth make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even now, through the Holy Spirit, if you've believed in Jesus, he's with you, empowering you for his service, to reflect him, to represent him. And so what you and I get to do as believers in Jesus Christ is just provide a little taste in this world of the kingdom to come, of the love and the perfection and the joy that is going to come. There's a coffee shop that I periodically go to in this town and study in this particular place, uh, they sometimes will walk around with little samples, and they always come up with the samples of the coffee that are like the most sugary, right? So it's like, do you want some coffee mixed with like mint chocolate chip ice cream and whipped cream and sprinkles on top? And I go, yeah, I love coffee, right? This is great. Well, what's their goal? Their goal is to give you a little taste so that you want to buy more. Now, in their case, obviously, it's to make some money. For us as believers in Jesus Christ, though, our goal is to give this world a little taste of the kingdom of God so that they look and they say, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want to uh, worship Jesus as well. I want to live this perfect life on this perfect restored earth. And so when we share the gospel and we say, if you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life, that's what we mean. We mean life as it was meant to be lived forever and ever and ever without any of the pains or sins or hassles that bother us now. That's our mission. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we pray. That's why we seek to know God, so we can understand who Jesus is, what he's calling us to do, so we can be his lights in this world to reflect that future, that eternity. And maybe that you're here and you do not yet know Jesus Christ, And the message of the scripture for you this morning is that if you want to experience this eternal life, the only way to do that is by trusting that Jesus Christ died. He paid the penalty for your sin, your disobedience against God. He took your punishment and he rose again so that you and I can have eternal life. And his resurrection proves that he's defeated death. He's defeated sin. And one day he will restore the earth. You can have that if you believe in him. For those who do believe what this calls us to do, to go into our classes, to go to work and to share the message of eternal life and then to spend our time seeking to know him, to obey him, to serve him so that our lives and our words reflect the kingdom that's to come. I know many of you are here for the first time. Some of you came last week, this is your second week. Knowing Jesus, understanding who he is, helping you reflect his kingdom, that's what we wanna be about. We wanna do it as well as we can trusting in God to empower us for the task, but that's what we want to be about. And that's why we constantly are are pushing students to study the word of God, to read about Jesus for themselves, to go overseas, to share the gospel, to engage in service to this community so that we can be reflections of his kingdom. Because that's what we're called to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray that we would reflect the love, the grace, the truth of Jesus Christ so that we can give the world around us a taste of who you are and the kind of kingdom you're bringing. Forgive us for believing any lies about what your kingdom is like. Instead, let us proclaim the glory and the truth of life as it was meant to be in Jesus Christ thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.